Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, a podcast for health and wellness practitioners passionately committed to transforming our current broken, disease-focused system. Your host, Dr. Rita Marie Los Calzo, is devoted to helping you get results with complex health challenges like autoimmune, hormonal imbalances, and chronic health challenges caused by nutritional and lifestyle-induced imbalances. Here's your host, Dr. Rita Marie. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for health and wellness practitioners who are passionate about making a difference. Have you ever wondered why certain people just need much higher doses of certain nutrients than other people? Have you ever wondered why people take extra doses of nutrients and they're still not getting changes in their labs or their symptoms? Did you ever find that for some people, food doesn't really make that much of a difference when you identify nutrient imbalances, and then you supplement them with foods that are really high, and they still show deficiency signs. Well, it could be their genes. If you're a health practitioner who really wants to help people to get well, not to just cover up symptoms, not to just apply protocols, whether nutritional or pharmaceutical, we are doing a live event that's just right for you. It's called Functional Nutrigenomics in Clinical Practice. And it's all about how you can learn the genetic testing you can do with people to help you to personalize their diet and lifestyle plans. And when you put that together with your typical really great functional history and lab testing, you're gonna have all you need. So join us for an online virtual event that you can attend from anywhere. It's June 2nd to 4th, 2023. And you can get there by going to nesliveconference.com. That's nesliveconference.com. And we'll also put the link on the show notes page. So knowing this, helps you when you know their genes. When you know the variants that are related to nutrient balance, you get to know how much to supplement or know that when you supplement, you're going to have to keep checking and keep increasing the supplementation or what forms of certain nutrients you might need to supplement with because of the way that their body's processing. So today I'm going to share with you some of the major SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms, that are related to nutrient imbalances. These are the ones that I most commonly look at and really help to inform my decisions about what to do and how to supplement and how to get people back in balance. So I'm going to start with one. It's called BCM01. And this is related to vitamin A. It's related to the conversion of beta carotene which is the most common plant-based food form of vitamin A, into the actual vitamin A. There's a process that needs to happen to turn beta carotene into vitamin A. And for people who don't have any problems with this gene, they most likely convert just fine. So they don't need to actually take in free-form vitamin A. There's quite a number of different RSIDs, the specific research IDs related to this one. A few of them are RS1293492 or RS7501331 or RS6420424. 
So if somebody has one heterozygous SNP, the yellow kind that shows up, then they don't have much of a problem, especially if they're eating a lot of beta carotene rich foods. But if they don't have a lot of beta carotene rich foods in their diet, even on the very low levels of SNP, and they have some symptoms that seem to be related to vitamin A deficiency, like eye vision problems, especially night vision, immune issues, acne, eczema, and sometimes things that are off with their mucous membranes, their lungs, their digestive tracts, their nose, and even the vagina. All of these things can be related to good vitamin A status. So if you have someone with more profound SNP action, like they have at least one red homozygous, or they have several reds and yellows, or they have some combination that looks like they're off, watch out for this. Be careful about this. I personally have a couple of heterozygous SNPs, no homozygous SNPs here. So yellows on my chart, but I'm careful. I don't always supplement vitamin A, but I supplement vitamin A on an irregular basis. Let's just say a couple of times a month because it's easy to do. I have a little dropper bottle and I just take some drops. If, however, I'm exposed to someone who's sick, a virus, a a bacterial infection, then absolutely I'm going to be more careful and I'm going to supplement high levels of vitamin A because high levels of vitamin A have been shown to be able to knock out viral infections within 48 hours. So that's it for that. So let's look at another one that's related to vitamin B6. This one is NPBF3. And there might be multiple RSIDs, but the report that I use just shows one, RS4654748C. Mouthful. Anyway, this is involved with the clearance of vitamin B6. And of course, vitamin B6 is important in a lot of things like helping to make neurotransmitters like serotonin and norepinephrine. It's important as a precursor to glutathione in that it helps in the conversion from homocysteine down into the sulfation pathways when you look at the methylation and sulfation charts. And this is an important aspect of it. Vitamin B6 is important for many hundreds of enzyme systems in the body, but neurotransmitters, hormones, memory, even, you know, muscles and all that. So if somebody has high homocysteine and you're looking at other things, vitamin B6 might be the answer. High homocysteine and they have this SNP, vitamin B6 might be a good thing to supplement. Neurotransmitter problems like depression or anxiety or ADD, even improper ability to use the brain could be related to B6. So keep in mind when you have people with those symptoms, that if they have this particular SNP, that it could be vitamin B6. And so you might have to give them extra. I have people who I've worked with where we put them on like a normal, quote unquote, normal dose of B6. I usually use the activated form P5P, paradoxal 5-phosphate. And if they're not getting results, if their lab tests aren't changing, then I have to up it. And oftentimes when I up it, it's because, or the reason I have to up it is because they have a vitamin B6 SNP. So what else do we have? There's one related to zinc. 
I don't know about you, but have you ever found that there's certain people that you do like say a zinc tally taste test, or they have a blood test and they're low in alkaline phosphatase, which is a very good indicator of zinc status, or they're low in white blood cells and you give them zinc, but they don't seem to respond to the normal 20 milligrams or so of supplementation. It's oftentimes because they have this inability to transport zinc into the cells. So what we do is we look at this from a perspective of what's zinc involved with. So this particular SNP is SLC30A8. And its RSID is 115-58471. So by the way, the test that I always look at to find these is the genetic detoxification test. Love that test because there's a whole section on nutrients. So if somebody has low testosterone or low other sex hormones, steroid hormones, they have some mental health issues. They have a lack of appetite, which is very much related to zinc. They have poor immune function. There's so many things that zinc is involved with. So study that in our in nutritional endocrinology practitioner training. We have a module on every single nutrient. And each of those modules is somewhere between 45 and, and 90 minutes long. And we go into all the details about what these different nutrients do and what functions they have in the body. And then what does it look like if somebody has a deficiency or an excess? So I would highly recommend that you look at that if somebody's having trouble with supplementing zinc and not getting better, their alkaline phosphatase is particularly low. See if they have this SNP. And even if you don't have a genetic test, you can guess that maybe they do and increase the supplementation dose. Another one is very important one related to iron metabolism. It's HFE, C282Y. H63D. There's two versions of it, two RSIDs related to that. 1800-562 and 1799945. So iron metabolism, this helps the body absorb iron. And when someone has an increased absorption of iron, it can lead to a condition called hemochromatosis, excess iron and ferritin in the system. So if somebody has the HFE SNP, they're more prone to getting hemochromatosis. Now, if they have just one, the heterozygous yellow, then they're less likely, obviously. Generally speaking, if they have homozygous in these SNPs, they probably have hemochromatosis, which is a serious disease. And iron in excess is oxidative stress on the body. Iron in excess can cause damage to the body, cause inflammation, can cause damage to the, the liver. So when somebody has hemochromatosis, they're more prone to having something like Alzheimer's, right? Too much iron can affect the brain in that way. So we really want to look to see if somebody has this, make sure they're not taking iron supplements. Take a look at their foods. If they're eating a lot of red meat, which has a lot of heme iron, which is the most easily absorbed they can end up with way too high levels. And you've got to make sure with this SNP that you're doing the right testing. Most MDs do not do the right testing for iron. They usually test for iron, serum iron, or they test for serum ferritin. You actually have to test for both serum iron and serum ferritin because ferritin is the storage form of iron. And 
just because the ferritin is high doesn't mean that the iron is high. And if the iron is low and the ferritin is high or vice versa, we have to look for other underlying causes of this. So we can't just say, oh, they have low iron, we're going to supplement with iron. You've got to do a complete evaluation, especially if you have a gene test, take a look at this because you can get them into big trouble and cause massive damage to their, their cells. In another episode of Reinvent Healthcare, we interview Dr. Christy Sutton, and she tells a story of what happened with her husband who had undiagnosed hemochromatosis. So I would highly recommend that you listen to that episode. So let's look at others. There's another one related to iron. It's iron transport. It's TF, transferrin. And that regulates the amount of iron in the blood. Transferrin is a transport protein, right? And a protein that carries iron to the tissues. So when transferrin levels are very low, it indicates that we probably have a lot more iron than we should. If transferrin is very high, it means there's a lot of that protein available and we might have iron deficiency. So this is related to iron and we especially want to look at this because if they have a SNP here and they have either too much or too little transferrin in the blood, that can lead them to problems. It can lead to increased risk of Alzheimer's when they have high iron. And it can lead to an increased list of cancer and also infections because this iron is an oxidative stress marker. So we have to look at this, especially if things are obvious, you know, things just look like the way they should. You don't necessarily have to look at these, but with so many of the people we see, they're presenting in ways that are a little outside the norm. So let's look at another one, VDR, vitamin D. And there's a number of these, and we're not going to go into every single one of these forms. There's the BSM form, there's the TAQ, there's the RSID 1544410, RSID 731236. And when we have SNPs here, we're going to have problems with the vitamin D receptor. VDR stands for vitamin D receptor. So this is where you might be giving someone lots of vitamin D. They're taking lots of vitamin D, but what happens is they're not getting the vitamin Ds into the cells because of problems with the receptor. And I know you've seen this. I've seen this a lot where I've done lab tests. I remember this. I'll tell you a story about one time I did this vitamin D test on two different people at the same time. One was male, one was female. And I don't know if that made much of a difference, but it probably is more of a genetic than anything else. So they both came back with extremely low vitamin D levels. Like one had an eight and one had a six. That's extremely low. Both of them, I suggested 20,000 IUs of vitamin D. And I said, do it for six weeks, then retest. Because I didn't want them to have that high a level for too long, just in case it repaired really quickly. And I didn't know their genetic status at the time. So one of them, the female, did what I asked and retested at six weeks and her D had gone up to like 95. And so we adjusted the D so she didn't need so much anymore. So she apparently was deficient in the first place because she just wasn't getting outdoors enough and taking a supplement. The guy didn't come back in six weeks. The guy shows back up on my door in a year and a half. He says, okay, I did another blood test. I want you to evaluate it comes in with his blood test and I go through the whole thing and I went, why didn't you do vitamin D? Because, oh, 
I thought I did. No, nope, you didn't do vitamin D. I said you were extremely low last time. You waited a whole year and a half before coming back in. I told you to, you know, to do this, the testing after six weeks. I said, how much vitamin D are you currently taking? He says, 20,000, like you told me. I looked him in the eye and I said, 20,000. Have you been taking that ever since I told you that a year and a half ago? He said, yeah. I'm like, oh my God go and get your vitamin D tested tomorrow. Stop taking vitamin D until we get the results back. So he goes and takes his vitamin D test the next day, brings it into me. It was only up to 60,000. He had gone a year and a half of taking 20,000. And his, he only got his levels up to 60,000. See the big difference between people? This is what you need to be aware of. Most MDs either won't test vitamin D or they'll test the vitamin D for people like once every six years or five years. And what they don't realize is that vitamin D levels change dramatically. They're affected by age, sex, exposure to the sun, skin color. And what happens is when they don't go back and retest, we don't know if what dose they gave them works. A lot of times people are told, just take this dose for like three months and then you're fine. And I see these people all the time and I go, look, your vitamin D was, you know, 30 back in whatever time it was. And now it's 31. Like what's happened in between, right? Oh, I took the vitamin D for three months. Like the doctor told me, we don't know if the vitamin D worked, right? So knowing this will help you say, this person's probably not going to absorb it real well. What I want to do is give them a high dose to see what happens. And then I can adjust the dose after that. So safely, you can give them 20,000 for six weeks, no problem. So why do we want good vitamin D? Because it's effective for everything. It's important for the immune system. We know that low vitamin D makes you more prone to viral infections. It's related to, of course, calcium absorption in the gut. So low vitamin D can lead to bone loss. It can also lead to the risk of insulin resistance because it's so, so important in the whole glucose insulin uptake. So important things to be looking at. And if you're not looking at these or at least knowing about them and knowing that this might be going on, then you're, you're missing the boat on helping people to really customize what they've been doing. Another one that's related to vitamin D is GC. That's a short one, right? GC, RSID 2282679. And there's also another one, RS7041. So this helps to transport vitamin D into the tissues. And when people are low in this particular one, what they found is that it increases their risk of ulcerative colitis, nerve issues, and insulin resistance. So important ones related. And if they have both of these related to vitamin D, then they're going to have even more problems and more likelihood of having these issues. So let's look at a couple more. We have for folate metabolism, we have DHFR. And DHFR, there's three different RSIDs that we can look at here, helps to metabolize folate. And when people are low in folate, we know there's a lot of issues, right? There can be anemia, macrocytic anemia. There can be high levels of homocysteine and a whole lot of other things that are related to methylation. So folate's super important. We know that women are supplemented with folate during pregnancy because of the high risk of neural tube defects if they don't supplement. 
So with this DHFR, the RSIDs are 1643649, and 1650697. So if somebody has a SNP here, they're probably going to need more folate than they would in general. But again, we do not want to just supplement folate because they have a particular gene SNP. What we want to do is look at other signs that they have low folate. So do they have anemia? Look at the MCV on your CBC. Do they have high levels of homocysteine? These are important things to look at to determine if they have problems with folate. There's another test, and I can't remember the exact name. It's a metabolite of folate that's measured on your organic acids test. We talked about this when we did the organic acids test episode. There's also one related to folate receptors, FOLR, one, two, and three, three different RSIDs. And I'm not sure if it's really helpful to give you all these RSIDs, but if you play this back slow, you'll get it and you can look at the transcript. RS2071010, RS651933, and RS7925645. This helps the body to make the receptors for folate. And that helps the folate to get into the cells because the receptors are working properly. Like I said earlier, neurotube defects during pregnancy, and that can lead to spina bifida. So this is an important, important thing to be looking at and important nutrient to be supplementing someone during pregnancy or making sure that they have good folate status in their diet. It can also lead to problems with the spleen, the thymus, and the bone marrow. So it's really, really important to look at this. So what I want to say also related to the vitamin B9, which is folate, are MTHFR, MTHFD1L, and MTHFS. Those are all in that folate metabolism methylation pathway. So these are things you can look at to see if this person is prone. But really, you want to know, is it epigenetically happening, right? Is the gene turned on or not turned on? So if somebody is showing signs of folate deficiency, then obviously their gene might be turned on. But really, make sure that you test homocysteine and MCV, mean corpuscular volume, in the CBC. So let's look at a couple of others related to vitamin B12. So there's two of them, TCN1 and TCN2. And again, three specific genes related to this, RS526934, RS9606756, and RS1801198. And this helps to protect vitamin B12 from stomach acid. So vitamin B12 can be broken down from stomach acid, but this particular enzyme protects it. So we want to be able to have this intact. The two version, TCN2, actually helps vitamin B12 gain access into the cells. So if you ever see someone who has a high serum vitamin B12, which I don't think is a great test, and they have indicators of low B12, functional indicators of low B12, like homocysteine, MCV, or methylmalonic acid, it could be that they have this gene SNP activated, and they're going to have 
the inability to really get the vitamin B12 into the cells because it's high in the serum, but that doesn't mean anything, which is why I don't like that test. I like to do the functional test because I want to know how it's acting on a functional level, on a cellular level. And we know lots of the deficiency signs. So they have issues with neuropathies, like tingling in their fingers and toes. They call that stocking and glove neuropathy. If they have trouble with the gut, they have trouble with vision. They have trouble with energy, a lot of things and a lot of mental issues. There's a really good book called Could It Be B12? And Could It Be B12 is a phenomenal book and gives you all the different kinds of signs. So if somebody has one of these SNPs, then they might be that they are low in B12. And if they also have the, the symptoms and they have high homocysteine and they have high MCV, chances are really good. And they have high methylmonic acid. Chances are really good that there's a B12 deficiency. So let's look at a couple more. We're almost at the home stretch here. TRPM7 with an RS of 804 to 919. And this maintains adequate levels of magnesium in the cells. And when we don't have enough magnesium, there's a lot of risk factors, right? We have muscle spasms. We have increased risk of colon cancer. We can have low adrenal function. It's related to thyroid function. This is a super important mineral. And if we have this SNP, it could increase the risk of the deficiencies of magnesium. So we want to look at that. So again, Serum magnesium is not a good way to go, but red blood cell magnesium is a good way to test magnesium status. But I find with some good scorecards, I call them nutrient scorecards, they check off the symptoms and we find that they have low levels of magnesium based on symptoms. And so we can work between the SNPs and the symptoms and if we do a red blood cell magnesium. Another way to look at magnesium too is on an organic acid test because in the Krebs cycle, there's a few stages that are relying on magnesium. So we can identify that there too. So the last one I'm going to talk about is not directly related to a specific nutrient, but is more general. And it is NQ01. And it's related to removing DNA damaging free radicals and metabolizing xenobiotics. The nutrient that it is related to is CoQ10 in that it converts CoQ10 to ubiquinol. So this is important that when people have a SNP here, they tend to be sensitive to oil and gas. Those are the people who go into the gas station and they go, oh, I can't stand this. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be around when people are pumping their gas, sensitive to gas fumes. And when they have this SNP, if this SNP is activated, they can actually have an increased risk of Alzheimer's and cancer. So we really want to look at this SNP from the standpoint of uh, CoQ10 is a nutrient. So how do we help them when they have this SNP? We then can give them higher levels of CoQ10. We can feed them or suggest to them CoQ10 rich foods. So now we've looked at gene SNPs that are related to nutrients. And when you find that people have these gene SNPs, we've got to be more careful about those particular nutrients, right? We want to make sure that they don't have deficiency signs, that they don't have deficiencies indicated on their blood tests. So what's the process? If you've identified these gene SNPs, what do we do? We don't just say, oh, I'm going to give them this much vitamin A and this much vitamin B12 and this much D because it's variable from person to person. 
So what I suggest is number one, you give them some, what I call scorecard assessments. We give them in many of our modules in the NEPT program. So you can learn how to do those and you can look online to look for the symptoms of those things. So we give them a scorecard assessment and we just make them check off what symptoms they have. So if they're showing some signs of deficiency of these nutrients that they have the SNPs in, then we really want to look at what's going on. We want to also look at their diet history. So what I usually do is I have them track their nutrition, track their diet for three or four days in something like Chronometer. I love that app, Chronometer. There's others like it. There's Fit Day and there's a bunch of others, but actually that gives you an indication of how much each particular nutrient this person is getting in their diet. Okay. So this is a really important piece. And I think that, you know, if you have indications that they have some of the symptoms and you're showing that they're low on their diet, then what I usually do is I recommend that they look for sources of those nutrients that they will include in their diet and we up their diet. You can always retest with the scorecards in a short period of time. If the symptoms don't change, then maybe they need to supplement. Some people just need to supplement. You're really going to do the history and you know how crappy they've been eating and it's going to take a long time to replenish. So you supplement. And you figure out the dose that you want to supplement these particular nutrients that are manifesting either in lab testing or in their symptoms. And you supplement. You don't just automatically supplement. Oh, what do I do for this particular SNP? Oh, you give 20 milligrams of zinc or you give this much B6. No, there's no set protocol or formula. It's really a matter of what's going on for this individual person. So as you can see, it's a super valuable tool to be able to do gene testing and be able to see what nutrient deficiencies they're at risk of having. It's really an, a nice thing to be able to do, but you want to combine it with lab testing and symptom testing. So figuring out what symptoms they have. So on the show notes page at reinventhealthcare.com, you're going to see a list of some of the resources. We'll list the name of that book I mentioned to you earlier. We also have these really cool charts that are usually just available as part of our NEPT program, but we have a special arrangement for you to be able to get access to those. So take a look for that on the show notes page, plus some blog posts and things that we have done and links to maybe previous podcasts that would make sense. So I recommend that you download the genetics resource kit at www.reinventhealthcare.com forward slash genes. And no, realize that using functional testing and genetics and good careful history taking to pinpoint imbalances will help you to be able to empower your clients and patients to use the power of nutrition and lifestyle to restore balance, to get their energy back, to rebalance their immune systems, and to feel so much better. And you're going to be successful in your practice when you do this. Not only will you have more of a thriving practice, but you're going to feel good at the end of the day because you've truly, truly helped people to thrive. So download the guide at reinventhealthcare.com forward slash genes. And until next time, shine on. Thank you for listening to the reinvent healthcare podcast. Join the movement of practitioners that are guiding people to actually get well rather than covering up their symptoms. 
Connect with us at reinventhealthcare.com to access resources and tools that will empower you to create a thriving health practice.